0: The Claim the Stage Podcast. How are you? I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. All of our clubs are meeting online right now. So if you are struggling with those online presentations, if you're not enjoying getting in front of the camera every day to give updates and, you know, be in meetings and try to pitch your business, check out Speaker Sisterhood. We could probably help. Today's episode is all about how to pivot yourself from in-person events, especially if you were using speaking to sell your events, or if you were going out and getting paid to speak, Uh, how do you pivot it from being in, in person to creating an online presence and today's guest is Juju Hook. I could say her name all day, Juju. I think it's so fun. My nickname when I was a little kid that my family gave me was Jiji, so maybe that's why I like it so much. But Juju <laughs> is a consultant, a coach, and a speaker. And for more than a quarter century, she developed brand strategy for corporations. And today, through online programs and you know, sort of live events and one-to-one coaching, she motivates, inspires, and educates what she calls primetime women in topics related to business, life, and relationships. She holds a BA in English and an MBA and is certified as a coach and a yoga teacher. And she lives in San Diego with her husband and her son. And you can find her branding blog at strategicjuju.com and her program for primetime women at positivelyprimetime.com. And Juju also offers a free gift to our listeners. You can download a free copy of her self-assessment, Discover Your Essence of Influence. And there's a link to that in the show notes. So that's a pretty cool thing Put together that will hopefully give you some insight into yourself. And I think as I was putting this episode together and thinking about the concept of it, I was like, is it too late to talk about this subject? Like pivoting, it's already October, you know. (laughs) We've been like living through the pandemic for seven months. So Is it too late? And actually, what I came up with was no. I don't know about you, but I hardly worked for like five months because I didn't have childcare and everything was just so... I don't know, so hard. And I just felt like so isolated and I didn't feel inspired. And I was having a really hard time focusing and I was like exhausted all the time. So for me, I really am just sort of getting back into the swing of things. And it's definitely not too late to be thinking more about how to continue growing and helping all of you. So if you're in that space of still strategizing and rethinking how your business and your speaking is going to take a new form in the coming months, then this episode is perfect for you. Today, we're going to talk about how Juju made a big career switch in her midlife and what inspired it. And it's such an interesting story. You know, I usually ask that question a little, you know, I ask the guests to tell me a little bit about their background when we get on the interview. And that usually takes a couple minutes, but we spent more time on that because I was really fascinated by what she told me and want to learn more about what she learned by taking that huge career leap, um, you know, in her midlife. And I think it would definitely be relatable and just an interesting story to hear. So we start there and then she talks more about pivoting her business away from speaking on stages and more toward virtual packages and how she's helping her clients navigate the current business climate. There's a lot of really great nuggets in here. Juju was such a joy to interview. I loved her perspective and the way she thinks about business and life and I hope you get a lot out of it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Juju Hook. Juju Hook, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's delightful to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. You did something this year that so many of us have had to do. You have pivoted your business from in-person events to an online presence. And before we jump into how you did that and advice you have for other people on how to do that, I want to talk a little bit about your your career path and how you kind of ended up where you are because you made a big career switch in midlife. What motivated that?
1: I made a career switch in midlife because I had a calling, I think, that a lot of midlife women have. And it shows up different ways for different women. But essentially, I had a call to contribute in a new way. For me, I initially recognized it as a feeling that I might be irrelevant. And I, at the time, I owned an agency, a branding agency. I was serving corporate clients. I lost a, a very big client or was about to lose one. And I had this feeling that I might not be able to replace them because maybe a younger woman or a younger agency would be more relevant. And at the same time, I was struggling with a lot of feelings around, is this all there is? I was restless. I was bored. I was 20 some years, 25 years into a career that I had mastered, but that wasn't really serving me. And I was spending a lot of time lining the pockets of big corporations and helping them, you know, make more money. And I was very overly involved in my teenager's life, which I think is is also often the case for a lot of women in midlife. And we were at that space, that sort of menopause puberty space, which is a real shit show if you've ever been in a house that has where that's going on. And it was just this sort of um perfect storm. And I said to my husband, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And he said, okay, what do you want to do? And my first thought was, well, I want to be a motivational speaker. And he said, well, what does that look like? And I said, I don't, I really have no idea. <laughs> and so we made a deal. He said, how long do you think it'll take for you to replace your, in your agency income? And I had spent my whole adult life building that income. And my estimation was five years and it took me about four years. And, um, now I'm on a completely different trajectory. And through the course of that experience, I decided to serve women who are in that space. So essentially all of my time, all of my energy, all of my effort now is spent helping primetime women, thats which is what I call midlife, um, create brands and lives that they love and make real money from their mastery. Many of them in a new way, many of them doing the pivot Similar to what happened during COVID where I know this thing really well, but I'm really sick of the way I'm delivering it or I'm not feeling fulfilled or the world's shifted and I haven't, or I've always had this dream to show up in this way and it's not built into my job now. How do I make that pivot? And so that's what I do. I facilitate that pivot every day with, with women.
0: Mm-hmm. What gave you the courage to take that leap? Because I think you're not the only person who has felt that way, but many people don't do that. I think
1: it didn't feel very courageous at the time. I'll be honest. I okay. think it felt what it felt like was quitting, hmm. and I really struggled with that. And I had a similar pivot early in my earlier in my career when I got pregnant. So I started out in corporate. I was. Um, always in a marketing executive in corporate. I, I, over time came to really specialize in branding. And so I built some kind of big glitzy brands for big companies. And then when I got pregnant, I was in my mid thirties, I got pregnant late and I, I had a job where I was traveling internationally and I just, I didn't, I didn't want to do it as a mom. And at that point, I left corporate and opened my own firm. And it very much felt like giving up. It was very hard for me to let go of my identity as an executive. And I didn't, I don't think I really mastered in that moment that I was making a choice and that it was a powerful choice. I think when I got to, my my late 40s, you know, pushing 50 and decided to make this shift, I think I was very much in touch with the fact that it was a choice, but I don't think I felt brave. I think I felt stuck and I just wasn't really, I was much more in touch with what I didn't want to put up with than I was in touch with what I was about to create. And it took me about, I would say about six months to really figure that out. And, and I was in that kind of weird business purgatory, where it was like, well, I hate this stuff, but I don't know what this looks like. Right. And so it didn't feel brave, but it felt necessary.
0: Yeah. And when you think about it now, is that the word you use to define it necessary? Or do you see the courage in it now?
1: I think it was destined. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: think for a lot of women, it is. I think prime time for midlife is midlife for women is prime time. I think it's like an eight to 11 time slot because we get to a point where we've developed mastery, where we really understand things. And women are called to do so many things on the planet that men aren't called to do. And not that I don't have respect for men because I do. And I worked in male-dominated industries for my entire career. But I think women are called to really develop and defend our mastery. And at the same time, we're called to develop and defend and support relationships on an an entirely different level. And when you combine those two things, by the time we reach midlife, we're like wizards, right? Like if (laughs) if you really want to like, you know, do something difficult, you call a 50-year-old woman. I really (laughs) think, you know, if you need to hide a body, like you don't call your young (laughs) men friends. You call your 50, a 50-year-old woman and go, hey, I'm in real trouble here. What do I do, right? Do you have any duct tape? Can you talk me down from the ledge? And I think that it's a, it's a calling. And so now my perception is that if women hear it and they feel it and they don't answer the call, then the alternative is regret. Yeah. And I think, most of the women that I meet are really in touch with that. Like, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do this, and I'm never going to forgive myself if I don't do this. And and that same recording, those same lies over and over again that we play in our head, all based on the older I get, the less I'm worth, those lies don't come from us. They come from society and from all kinds of factions that benefit from us believing that. And once we can get past the lies, we can answer the call. And it's just – so I think now I, I perceive it, it – beyond necessary. I perceive it as it's, it's like an exalted journey. It's what we were meant to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I run a company called Speaker Sisterhood and it's a network of public speaking clubs for women. And when I started that organization, I thought that the median age of members would be like mid thirties, like women who are trying to build up their career and become leaders and learn how to use their voice. But the average age of our membership is 50.
1: Yeah, because we're ready and we have
0: something to say, right? Exactly. I was shocked by that because I didn't didn't see how much of a need and desire there was for that age group to stand up and say, yeah, I'm sick of hiding. I'm sick of being there for everybody else. I'm sick of waiting for my life to start. Let's do this right now. And there's a passion And and there's a drive right then. And I've
1: earned it. I think I was always a writer. I started writing when I was very young. My undergraduate degree is in writing and creative writing. And I always wrote other people's words. I wrote advertising copy. I wrote speeches. I wrote annual reports. I wrote all kinds of other people's words. And I think for a very long time, and this is the case with a lot of artists in different ways, I, I had this question of why would anyone want to hear what I have to say? And so... There came a time in my mid-40s where I realized I want to write my own words. I have something that I want to share. And I think earlier in life I was a proficient writer and I knew that I was and I knew it was a gift, but that's an entirely different feeling from wanting to stand up on a stage or write a book and say, hey, listen to me because I want you to learn what I've learned and I want to share with you what I know. And that is a calling.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that you listened to that and now you're doing this great work for other women. It's so important. So I want to talk a little bit about your work and about how it has changed this year because you were doing a lot of in-person speaking gigs to promote your business and connect with your audience. What were your first thoughts when you realized that wasn't going to be an option for a while? So it wasn't just that I was doing a lot of in-person Person speaking
1: gigs, it was that I had invested 18 years of my life in getting to a point where I could. My entire marketing plan was based on that. And I had gone into um, 2020 selling my business from a live event and it was really successful. It was the first year that I launched a a nine-month immersion program called The Cut. And so I sold, I had sold 15 women into that experience through a three day live retreat. And that experience inclu- was it to include a live retreat at the end. And I had invested in all of these networks, co working spaces, and uh, all kinds of stages where I could essentially get up and pitch. And was heading toward. Uh, What felt like a pretty rich keynote career. I had mastered all these pitches. I had hired people to help me. And then from one day to the next, it was just really evident that it was, that was not going to happen. And I think it would have been a much harder transition for me had I not been already in relation with 15 women who all had to pivot in some way or another, maybe not from you know stage to online but i had women who were seeing clients face to face that had to pivot i had women who were working full time and building a bridge to opening their own businesses whose full time jobs went crazy i had women who all of a sudden had little kids at home with them which or even grandkids at home with them which is just was just everything was other than and i think necessity breeds invention Right, and it says that what they say: necessity is the mother of invention. So yeah. you just figure it out, and I did. I, I, you know, really quickly leaned into the Zoom thing and to understanding um, how does this all work. I think I very quickly came to understand the need for women to work in connection, and so I started doing um, group co-working events. Which it was funny because I had. I had one woman say to me, I can't believe I pay you to babysit me for 3 hours while I get my work done, right? But people just became so disconnected and so that it was so hard to focus yeah. that moving into that space and really recognizing what do people need right now? How can I help? How can I be of assistance? What do people need? That was that was the shift for me.
0: Mm-hmm. So you had these virtual co-working spaces and you had your coaching clients. What else were you doing differently to market yourself? So
1: I'm getting ready right now to launch four different things that none of which I had in my fall marketing calendar. I have a strategic planning weekend um, that I'm launching. And for women who are in this space where they have a signature product, they have a signature system and they want to build a sales system around it. So together we'll create a plan for 2021. I recognize that I would have never, would have never launched an event like this, but I recognize that there is a real sense of uncertainty and everyone's grasping for certainty. And so one of the things that I learned early on in my career was scenario planning. And you know, this, I worked in the banking industry and this is something they teach you in, in, and as a financial executive, you have to plan for different, strategically plan for different scenarios. And so, so I'm launching a scenario, a, a strategic planning weekend that I will use to sell women into next year's version of the cut. At the end of it, I'll,
0: I'll pitch the cut, and that's not something that I had planned. Um, what does that event look like? Is it like an, uh, a Zoom yeah meeting that yeah. goes on all day?
1: No, because nobody wants a Zoom meeting that yeah. goes on all day, right? <laughs> that, like, that, I would rather chew glass than sit in front of a screen all day. And I think most people feel that way, especially after, you know, six months of Zooming. Yeah. What it looks like is coming together on Zoom and getting some real specific instruction and then everybody going off and doing their thing and coming back and meeting. So okay. it's a it's a learn and work and a learn and work and learn and work. And then in between, some hot seats. So women who are struggling or really nailing it or, you know, want to go further, faster or whatever can jump into the hot seat. And in that way, we learn from what everybody else is doing. We're exposed to different ways to do things. And I find that that format works really, really well. I find it works really well inside the cut as well.
0: Okay. I like that idea. Is that a lower priced uh,
1: offering? Yeah. So you can- yeah. $197. Okay. Yeah. And it's for a woman who's in a, in a specific spot, right? So, so strategic planning in, in order for it to work well, we have to have a certain amount of data and we have to know that certain things work, right? We can't, we can, we can plan tests, but in order to really plan a sales cycle for our success, we have to be, we have to have things validated. So this is really for women who who have validated that. That Those things. So I, have, I have a signature system that gets results for people. I have a signature program that I sell. This is what it looks like. I understand how I want to build leads and how I want to build my pipeline and, and what essentially what my funnel looks like. How do I create a year? How do I create a, a, a plan for a year so that I can stay in it and, and feel relatively certain? And how do I build a best case, a worst case, and a most likely case scenario? Mm-hmm. So I'm prepared, right? and in that way, we have our vision for the best, but we plan for the worst, and we can move forward with much less anxiety. great so now for, now, for the women who don't who aren't in that spot, I offer a second option, which I call emerge, and that that's a weekend that will helps women get to that point. so here's where we determine or we figure out how do I what is my system to get specific results for specific people and what is my signature offer and what is the story of my brand that will attract people to me. And so that I'll do in November and mid November, and that's a $297 weekend. And again,
0: those women will be excellent candidates to move into the cut. Mm -hmm. So can you share a few things that you've learned this year that have been effective when it comes to marketing and business and business development online? Yeah. So the first is that I
1: think we all have perceptions around cause and effect that are not necessarily accurate. Okay. And I watch women struggle with this every day and you know, we are presented tactics. We are sold tactics. You should do a webinar. You should have a podcast. You should do some Facebook ads. You should, you know, blah, 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 right? Tactic after tactic after tactic. And what I recognize is that women are very in touch with the tactics and not in touch with an overall strategy. And when we learn a tactic, we have a perception that if I do A, then B will happen. And nobody talks about what needs to occur before A, in order to make this an effective tactic for you. So one of the things I've learned is that people really benefit from context, especially in an uncertain environment. And strategy provides that context. So strategy is not a very sexy thing, right? Like two years ago, I'm not sure I would have sold strategy, um, but it's necessary. So I think that's, that's one thing I've learned from marketing is that if you're gonna sell right now, you need to sell in the context of the struggle.
0: And a lot,
1: a lot of the women that I, that in the cut that had to pivot, the pivot is really all around context, right? What am I? What am I experiencing? Like, like I'll give you an example. I have a beautiful woman in my group. Her name is Martina Barnes. She was a therapist for many years, and she's also a clairvoyant. And she went to the psychic institute. Right? Like, she's a fascinating woman. She's got. She's just, all these years as a psychotherapist and all these years as an intuitive. And when we first started to work on her brand, she had this question around how much of this intuitive side do I show? And are there people who are going to consider me too woo-woo? And is this going to invalidate? And, you know, all these, what, what, what we're really... I think, legitimate branding questions that we had to answer. When COVID came, there was a space for her to move in contextually, strategically, in that there were so many women who are in really powerful positions that make all their decisions based on data. And all of a sudden, there was no data available. So she had a real opportunity to teach intuition now inside of a different context. And it wasn't about how do I attract people who are okay with the woo? And it became about... How do I offer getting in touch with your intuition as a supplement to women who are really driven by data and by information? And it was a great way for her to launch a beta group. And it really put her in a place of power where she could capitalize on the context. So I think creating strategy in, in context makes everything more powerful. And that, 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 I would say, is the biggest thing I've learned about marketing in this, in this space.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What would you say someone should do if they're trying to pivot and they wanna create a new strategy but they don't even know where to start because they're so wrapped up in what they used to do and that it's not working, that they're not able to see another potential avenue or another problem they could solve for that same customer base? So my experience is
1: that we're always more successful when we solve a specific problem for a specific group of people the more specific we can be around our results, our system, and the clients that we serve, the better chance we have to sell something. So my first piece of advice would be to go to those people and find, learn the context, figure out what's happening with them, right? What's going on with you? What's the problem that you're having right now? And what's the context that it's happening in? Because we can't do that in a vacuum. So I'll give you an example. When I first started working with women on their brands my perception was the result that they would want was money and everything that I was building was around how can I help you make money how can I help you make money but when I went to them and asked the result that they wanted was clarity I'm not clear I'm not clear on what I should offer I'm not clear on what I should say I'm not clear on who I should serve I'm not clear on whether or not I'm qualified to do this their money would take care of itself in their minds if they had the clarity. And that really shifted what I sold. And I think in, inside of COVID and also inside of everything we're experiencing in terms of social justice right now, but everyone has, to some extent, shifted their understanding of reality and the understanding of the way they operate inside reality. And the only way you're going to know what results people desire is to ask them. People are always desiring to move towards something or to move away from
0: Yeah. I something.
1: think once you understand what that is, then you can know, can I, can I, do I have a solution for this?
0: Yeah. What do you think is the best way to ask for that feedback? I know some people do phone calls. Other people do surveys that can be, you know, sent in anonymously. Do you have a preferred method? I always
1: recommend that your tactics play to your strengths in every, in every sense, right? So I mean, I'm a connector, so I want to talk to people. I want to ask them questions and I want to look them in the face and I want a feedback loop. I need that it's, it's, and it plays to my strength. I have women in my group who are much more scientific than I am, who are much more conversion related than I am. And so they'll, they may benefit from setting up a survey that's going to provide them more quantitative kind of data to allow them to make decisions. Um, I have, I, I think in all of these things you play, you always play to your strength. I think it's important though to ask people questions without a bias. And that's not easy for for us to do because we want to confirm what we want. Right? So I see this in branding too. I see where I see where I'll say to women, you know, you should, you should shop that around, take that tagline, send it out to 30 people who are in your, you know, in your in your target group and ask them what they think. And instead of saying, what does this make you think or how does this make you feel, they'll say, This is my new tagline. Do you love it? (laughs) <laughs> right. And so now you're not really getting feedback now. Yeah. So whatever, whatever format you're going to use, I'm not sure the format is as important as asking the questions without leaning into confirmation bias. In other words, to move in with curiosity instead of the desire to confirm.
0: hmm. So I'm hearing so much good advice. It's about talking to your customers to understand what they really need before you go off and just make something without knowing. It's about yes, shifting. prospects. Yeah, and shifting your strategy so that it's within the context of the world we live in right now. Mm-hmm. And so once you've got a strategy down and you're building something that you know your customer wants, what's the best way to market it right now? Because we're not doing the in-person stuff. What, what kinds of tools are you using and how are you staying connected to your audience? So I don't really know that, to be honest.
1: So I'm using a combination of tools for the fall. So what I did for myself was I gave myself a four-month window, almost a five-month window, to market my signature program for next year. And inside of that window, I'm doing two online workshops. I'm planning webinars. And i am also, also created a 21-day sort of contest or experience to launch. Because truthfully, I don't know how people are going to respond. And back to the tactics, you know, if I if I get into a space where I believe if I do a B will happen. We've never been here before. I've never promoted products in the middle of the world's craziest election and, you know, the the, the most intense fight for social justice we've ever seen in America and a pandemic, right? I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I know that if I have expectations around the result, my chances of being resilient will be much lower, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I don't know... How many of your listeners do webinars? But I can't tell you the number of times I've done a webinar and thrown myself on the floor after because my results just weren't what I thought they were going to be. And for the fall of this year, I don't have any of that expectation. I have only curiosity. So I think my recommendation around marketing would be to give yourself enough space and enough time and enough room to market everything multiple times in multiple ways and to be there for people in a way that you might not have been there before, you know, to be willing to talk to people about your products, talk to people about the experience that they're going to have and, and just be curious around what the sale is going to look like. And anybody who tells you that they know what's going to work in this environment, be real leery of that because nobody's ever been here before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Is there anything you think you'll do differently when you get back on a stage based on what you learned during this time in 2020? I think I'll be much more appreciative of my audience.
1: Hmm. I Being think, in the same room with them? I think so. I, I think, you know, I miss that connection. I, I, I Not just rooms full of people from stage, but, you know, I miss house parties and I miss... I miss happy hour and I miss airplanes and I miss places, you know, I miss sitting in Las Vegas and playing cards with people, which I haven't done since I was in my twenties. Right. But I just have this overwhelming desire to do it now because I miss being next to people and, and knowing, learning about them and knowing about them. And so I feel like, whereas before getting on a stage was the, ultimate result of hard work that i'd put in i think now getting on a stage will be a gift it'll be a you know something to unwrap and be really thankful for so i think uh, i anticipate that it'll be much more of a of a heartfelt experience than it is now or has been in
0: the past i agree Perfectly said. (laughs) Um, where can we get more information about you and your work? And are you on social media? Give us all the hookups links.
1: I am. So the, so you can find my website at jujuhook.com. Not a lot of interaction there. And, um, but you, you can learn about me there, um, at free.primetimejuju.com. I have a download um, be great for people in your audience. It's about our essence of influence and how to do an assessment so that you can find a way that you'll show up that feels helps you feel confident and authentic. Um, there's an assessment that you can take, and then a bunch of stories in there. Um, and those are the two places, uh, you know, out on the world wide web that you can find me. I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook page at Julia Juju Hook. Um, I have some Instagram up, but I don't love Instagram. I'm a words girl, not really a pictures girl. so so I have followers on Instagram, but I suspect they may be disappointed sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Mine too.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's just not my it's just not my thing. Um, and then my husband and I are gonna launch something this year that we've never done before. We have a little plane, and because people can't come to us for retreats, Um, part of my experience for next year will be that we'll be flying around and I'll be offering a full day, a full VIP day with everyone who's in my group. So we probably will start some type of a vlog or a podcast from the plane.
0: That's so awesome. I love that. Yeah. We're pretty excited about it. So that's, that's like a watch, watch for upcoming stuff kind of thing. Any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with your fellow speakers and business owners who are also just going through it all right now?
1: Yeah, keep the faith. Don't lose faith in yourself. I think the most dangerous thing that can happen during this time is that we become consumed with self-doubt and that we conflate uncertainty with self-doubt. And these things the answers show themselves. They show themselves if we stay curious and we stay away from the the self-judgment and the self-recrimination and and just ask the question, how can I serve? How can I serve? So I would it, it, it keep the faith that that we all have a purpose. And, an, and if we stay curious and we can work in purpose and it'll, you'll come out the other side and emerge in a whole new way.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and your experiences and everything you're doing. It sounds great. And I'm excited to uh, share it with everyone who's listening today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, you can show me some love by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen so more people can find us. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood, and it's recorded in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Chris Collins. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now.